Today you will listen to Meet Mediocrity, episode number 15. So since I consider multiples of five a milestone, then I guess today is a celebration. Celebration of 15 episodes of Meet Mediocrity. So today's conversation is with someone who I first considered a colleague when I first met him over 20 years ago. Then I considered him a mentor. Then I considered him a teammate. And now, well, it's been over 20 years since I've met him, and I consider him a really good friend. This is this friend of mine has had a truly, um, a truly a journey, an athletic journey, and it's a journey that can be applied to not just athletics but to many other things in life. And um, my friend Paul, he's a great storyteller, so you're going to enjoy how he tells some of the stories about his athletic experiences and how they are experiences we can learn from. So with that, let's get started. Episode 15. When I started the Meet Mediocrity podcast, I hoped to create a platform for ordinary people to not give up on themselves, to recognize that we all have mediocre moments or mediocre stretches or things that are just simply things we're mediocre at. But by meeting mediocrity and accepting mediocrity for what it is, a human moment, a human experience, accepting it and then pressing ahead, if we do that, we can all create better versions of ourselves. Today's conversation is with my colleague and friend, Paul Dauber. Paul is an accomplished endurance athlete. He's completed many running races, including the New York Marathon, many, many times. He's completed a bunch of triathlons, including the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii, and he's done that quite a few times. But here's what I love about Paul. He's willing to discuss his human inner thoughts, his challenges, his learnings. He's very accomplished, but in many ways he's very humble. He's successful yet insightful. I ask that you don't listen to this episode as a triathlon or a marathon podcast episode. It's not. Listen to it as I did when I spoke with Paul, as a series of interesting stories and experiences, stories and experiences that have lessons we can apply to almost anything. So please, without further delay, here is my conversation with Iron Man. Paul Dauber. Paul, you know, I mentioned in the introduction how you are quite, at least compared to me, an accomplished uh, distance athlete. You've done marathons, you've done triathlons, and, you know, this is not necessarily a podcast that's focused on triathlons and marathons, but it's focused on wellness. 
And so I feel like I could learn a little bit by having a conversation with you about your journey and what you've learned on that journey. So if you could start, Paul, you've done triathlons for as long as I've known you, but can you kind of take me back and tell me how you've got started in triathlons or, or distance races at all? Sure. So I was uh, in my late 20s. I was finishing up business school, and I had always been a, I'll call myself a mediocre athlete growing <laughs> up on the west side of Manhattan. There you and, go. Doing lots of different things. I played a little Division three hockey at Columbia, club sport. I mostly did a lot of jogging around the reservoir and around the Central Park in New York to stay in shape. And a friend of mine who was in his residency just after medical school was supposed to run the New York City Marathon in 1989. And um, he couldn't do it. And in those days, I guess there wasn't a whole lot of security around the numbers and there were no chips and you had a little tab that you pulled off the number. Oh, right. So he scared yes. me. Uh-huh. He just, he just dared me. He said, I'll give you my, my number. You got to go run it. And I'd never run more than 10 miles in my life. So um, I took the dare. And without any training, never having run more than 10 miles, I decided to do the New York Marathon in 1989. And so I, my strategy was to run as long as I could without stopping and, I don't know, walk the rest. So I somehow managed do uh, 425. I, I ran probably 10, 12 miles, and then I kind of just muddled through the rest of it. And okay. um, when I finished, <laughs> I was hooked. And wow. so my, you know, my personality um, lent itself toward saying, you know what? One time wasn't enough. I got to do that again, and I got to do it better. So I went at it the next year, and I had a little bit of bad luck. Kind of had a little bit of uh, a cold that day. wasn't feeling that great. And Ended up with the same time. So, of course, again, once again, my personality kicked in and, and said, I got to break four hours. So I did it again. <laughs> um, the following year, that makes three. Yep. And I did a 350. So okay. So, so again, you were done. You, you, you were retired in. at that point, right, Paul? <laughs> no. I, well. I know I you were. Right? <laughs> I was retired on the, the break four hour goal, but not retired on the next thing that I had in mind, which was to do it better. So I would say um, after 18 years, consecutive New York City marathons, by the way, I have a lifetime uh, admittance to the race because I did it 15 years in a row. So well, every year turn, I'm, Nikki, I'm in no matter what. You can't what. turn your number over to a friend anymore. That it, it, It's exclusively <laughs> for you, right, Paul? You can't do that. Not allowed. Yeah, there's no transferring the numbers these days. But, um, but so I ended up doing it all those years in a row. And so... It became an annual thing for me um, as a marketing and sales person at PwC. I had lots of friends and people that work with me, and I would put together an annual one-page document um, that depicted where I would be at each mile and approximately what time of day would I get to that mile, and I would challenge friends, family, coworkers to come meet me at those points in those times to say hello to me. And so I did that for 18 years in a row, and it was a part of my work life. It was a part of my family life. It was an important personal goal for me, and it was an annual rite of passage for me to see what kind of shape, how healthy could I be, could I fit it in as I was growing my career and, and doing all the things that I wanted to do professionally. 
I love the fact that you. I love the fact that you orchestrate. You orchestrated your fan club even, so you weren't just making goals for yourself. <laughs> you were telling your friends and your fans when to meet you and where to meet you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So a little tip on this, Mitch. Um, at these races, this, this is how much fun I would have with this. I would tell my friends not to say "Go, Paul." In other words, if they saw me, don't say Paul, because there are a million Pauls out there. So I would say to them, Dauber, call out Dauber. They would call Dauber, and that way for sure I would see them, because there aren't that them, many Daubers running the marathon. But that's a little bit of a trick. Yeah. If you're running your own race, um, no matter what it is, triathlon, half, um, marathon, marathon, have your friends call out your last name. It works every time. Fantastic. Okay, so 18 years as a marathoner, you had you you mm-hmm. met a lot of your goals, if not all of them. But I, I knew yep. you as a triathlete. So how how did marathons? Well, except for the fact that your your personality is goal oriented, you know, higher, <laughs> harder, more challenging. But how did it evolve for you? Yes. So, so you know, to get so the shift to triathlon happened because I had a physical setback. Um, I had some ankle surgery for a nerve impingement injury. Um, actually, I got skiing, but I ended up with a staph infection in the hospital. And when I came out of the hospital, the guy who closed the wound, my plastic surgeon, just said to me, enough of this running stuff, no more marathons for you go buy a bicycle. So I kind of half listened to him. I did <laughs> buy the bicycle. Um, I bought myself a specialized Alley Pro road bike. <laughs> okay, then not not, sooner, not a not a sooner, classic triathlon bike. No, not 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 one of those. And and I didn't know anything about clips. And so of course, the first time I was riding um, that bike, I was I, I'll never forget this. I was going down 86th Street between Columbus and Amsterdam, and I pulled up to the red light and I completely forgot I was in the clip. And tipping, I tipped over. You know, like I could just feel myself doing it. <laughs> it all happens in slow motion, doesn't it? And you know, there are a bunch of kids coming home from school, and I think they're still laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was that. So I bought this bike, and I put some clips on it. And in 2004, I did the New York City Triathlon, and I actually did well because the running experience, 25 miles on a bike, didn't wasn't so much for so me. The after New York all City that Triathlon, marathon. Paul. That's a an Olympic length triathlon. Is that correct? That is. That is an Olympic distance, okay. and um, we'll swim in the Hudson River from, I think, 99th Street to 79th, and then a jaunt through Central Park, actually up and down the Henry Hudson Parkway, and then uh, a run in the park. And um, it's a very fun race, and it's always hot. And it was canceled, I I it was canceled in 2019. That much I know. It was, it was so oppressively hot, <laughs> it was canceled in 2019. But yeah, you did that. That was your first race hot. in 2004. <laughs> So 2004, I did that, and um, I did very well. I think I did a 2.30 or so. I don't remember exactly, but that prompted me and my personality immediately to sign up for a half Ironman in Rhode Island called the Firm Man Race, which was in later September of that year, and I did really well at that. And a year later, I was in Coeur d'Alene doing an Ironman in 2005, which I did in 13 hours. And I, so that's how, I mean, immediately transitioned from one to the other, ignored my injury, yeah. <laughs> and plowed right into triathlon. 
Your doctor said no more marathons, so you you, you started doing full-length triathlons that include a marathon at the end of the race. Very, very, very good exactly. at following instructions and doctor's orders. Paul, not, how many, my, not my strongest suit. Clearly. How many full-length triathlons have you done since that first one in 2005, you said? So I've attempted 20, and I have finished 18. Um, I have had two DNFs, did not finishes. Um, Unfortunately, one was at the Hawaii Ironman in 2015, which I've done, completed four out of the five times I've tried. And then one was last year in 102-degree weather in Frankfurt, Germany. And so I don't say unfortunately about that. And when I look at, and and we, we really haven't talked about DNFs before, but I was very proud of my DNF in Frankfurt because I looked at where I was in terms of my life and four children and uh, being a 55, 56-year-old man and being able to know when is enough, enough is enough and quitting or saying I'll call it a day for the right reasons as opposed to walking off the course in Kona because I wasn't going to have a good time. And so I contrast those two because when you think about what we're all trying to do in multi-sport, triathlon, running, is we want to put forth, at least I do, want to put forth the best effort that we can. And we want to do it with dignity, with style, and we want to feel good about ourselves when we're, when we're done. And so I admit that on that day in 2015, I got so caught up with the numbers and performance that I let that get ahead of myself and ahead of finishing the journey that I set out to do in 2015. So when I look at my two DNF, one I'm not proud of, and I promised my kids I would never do that again. And the other one I am proud of because it was the right thing to do for me and for my family. Well, this, this is an inflection point in the conversation and in your journey, Paul, because I'm thinking about what you just said. You said you want to, you want to approach an event, a milestone, a race, and, and complete it feeling good about yourself. And it sounds to me, Paul, that you evolved. You evolved from feeling good about yourself being the accomplishment of a particular time. and it be, it evolved to something that was a little bit less time focused and a little bit more you know how do you feel about yourself how was the journey to get there and 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 how was the actual how did you feel more holistically about yourself than just time so i'd like to talk a little bit about that paul i mean do you feel that as you gained experience doing races and as you gained experience kind of understanding yourself, that your approach evolved from to only time focus to a more broader focus? There's no question that that, you know, to say that I've perfected that and that I do it every time would not be telling the truth. Right. But overall, the answer is yes. And so I, I've, I've raced a lot, and I know that every race course is different. The weather's different. The hills are different. The winds are different. The competitors are different. Um, What I ate that morning is different. What happened to me at work before is different. 
what happened with my family and my kids the week before is different. The travel is different. Every Life is always different for every race. And to have the self-awareness to understand where you are that day and what you can give that day, that's the most important thing that I think you can do. And if you approach the race that way and you say, I can only control myself, and maybe I can't control myself, but I can only control myself, and that's the thing that I can do that day. If you go through the process and you stick to your plan and you do your best and you follow that plan, then the time doesn't matter because you will have executed what you've set out to do, and that's going to make you feel amazing. Whether or not that puts you in the top third, bottom third, or in the middle, it doesn't really matter. But that's something for you to build on. And that's why I told the story about my Kona 2015 story, because I let that all get away from me. And I didn't have the patience to stick to my plan. I just looked at my silly Garmin and said, I'm off by X minutes. I'm off by Y seconds. I'm having a bad day. I'm out of here. And that was a really immature day for me, one which I never want to repeat. And as I get older and as I go through this kind of thing, and as I decide what races or what challenges to take on next, I always want to remember that the person that I can control is myself. The things that I can do are the things that I set out and the things that I practice with purpose. And if I do those things, then I'm going to be a happy guy. If I don't, it's going to get away from me. So I want to, so a couple questions on this Kona thing, but, but let me, let me first, before I go back to how you, how you qualified for Kona, cause that's an amazing event, but I want to contrast the walk off the course experience you had with Kona to an experience that you and I spoke about this year when you completed Kona you told me uh, you told me flat out before the race we were talking about it you told me what your goals were you from a time perspective didn't complete those goals but in fact i think you and i would both agree that that this year's kona race what did you did not meet your time goals but in many ways it was successful can you kind of talk us through what happened this year in kona and and why you didn't you know and how not meeting your time goals was not a failure at all. You, you actually had a successful day. Yes. So first of all, just being in Kona and having the experience to race the Ironman World Championship is, is such a gift. I don't want to talk about it as if it's something that I take for granted. It's, I'm so blessed that I've had the chance to do that. And to have done it, completed it four out of five times, that's, I don't even know what to say about it other than it's just an amazing gift that I've had that chance. And so this year, um, you know, I've had, I've taken on a lot of different things in my life. I'm retiring from a long career at PwC at the end of June. Um, my family and I are potentially moving. Um, there are other things going on in my life and going into this race in October the things that were on my mind personally, professionally, family-wise, there was a lot going on. And I was in very good shape yeah. um, and ready to go, but I think a lot on my plate emotionally. And, and all of these Ironman races require a certain temperament and emotion to do them well. And so I got out of the water. I swam about, uh, I don't even remember, a buck ten, which is pretty good swim. It's a, it's a mass start. 
salty water. There are jellyfish in there. You get kicked around the washing machine. <laughs> so I, I felt pretty good when I got out of the water. Um, and so the course, um, the bike course is a long stretch out to a place called Habib. And the last five miles up the midpoint to Habib are this incredibly ridiculous, very difficult climb. And the wind blows at you, and it's really, it's, it's like being in a, um, a hot air dryer. You feel like you're, um, I don't know, a piece of laundry in, a, in it and just being blown around. Yep. So as I turned around at Javi, everything was going accordingly. Um, I was uh, hitting my marks. I was hitting my nutrition. I was doing all the things that I practiced. Um, and then as I settled down to do the long downhill, the wind shifted again, oh, and no. instead of being instead of going as fast as I thought I was going to go, I faced a 56 mile headwind, and I wasn't the only one. But for whatever reason, I started cramping, and I cramped so much in my right leg that I couldn't straighten out my right leg to to get the bottom of the stroke. So I had to get I had to go to the side of the road, and I sat down on the floor with my bicycle and. The concrete was so hot, I think I could have fried an egg on my bike shorts. Um, So I sat there for a few minutes. I drank a little bit. I got back on the bike, didn't help, cramped again. So I did this for at least an hour. I had medical people wanting to take me off the course, but I just, all I could think about were my four kids and what I promised them. Um, I wasn't overheated, I was just cramping. And I just decided I was not going to give in, I wasn't going to do it. And so I fought it, fought it, fought it. And my usual five-hour and change bike ride turned into seven hours and 20 minutes. And the last two hours and 20 minutes, I probably covered two miles. Okay, I'm exaggerating. But, but I yeah. refused to give in. Yep. And same thing on the run. And I just looked at it. It's, it's going to be a long day. I'm going to be out here. But I'm going to finish. I'm going to beat the cutoffs. I'm going to finish. And you know what? When I do, it's going to be one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. Poor times, poor splits, throw it out the window. I needed to do it for my soul. I needed to do it for my kids and my family. And when I finished, like what you said before, Mitch, I felt like it was one of the more satisfying days ever. I don't want to repeat it. Let's not let's not, <laughs> not confuse this with repetition. Right. It's not something I wish to repeat. But once 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 it happened. I wasn't going to give in this time, and I didn't. So that's why I said to you that it was a, a satisfying day and a rewarding day in the sense that I didn't give in to those people. So this is the, so that's a great story. And, and so I want to use that story, Paul, as we wrap up the conversation to, to get you to think about and share with us. So there are people who are sitting there today and you know I I didn't want this to be a COVID-19 virus podcast but (laughs) it's out there now and everyone is speaking about it and there there are people who are are down in the dumps and and just trying to get by every day and there are also people who are saying how do I look at this as kind of like a resolution point like a New Year's resolution how can I come out of this and do some things I would never have done before and whether it's yeah. get off the couch and become a person who jogs a little bit every week, to someone who say I may want to do my first five k, to someone who may be like I do I do race I do running but I'd love to do triathlon or whatever it is, I'd like to get some sense from you, Paul, as 
for people for people who are in that thinking about where they'd like to go, you've been there, done that. You've gone through this entire evolution. Are there any thoughts that you can share about for anyone who's thinking about taking that next step? What kind of insights would you share with them? What kind of learnings would you share with them to help them kind of be successful as they approach their goals? Yeah. So let's start out um, with the mental side first. Yep. And use one of <clears throat> one of your favorite words, which is the word journey. So I think if you choose to do this, and so like everyone else on the phone call, I'm confused and scared and nervous about how um, COVID is going to play out and wishing and praying that everybody stays healthy and does the best that they can physically and emotionally and otherwise until we figure figure all this out. So God bless all. But I think if you're going to do things in this environment, the first thing is to recognize that it's not, it's not flipping a switch. It's signing on to the word journey. It's signing on to a period of time where you're going to go on a path towards doing something, whether it's deciding you're going to ride your bike 100 miles or you're going to do a 5K or a 10K or you're going to do a mini triathlon, a sprint, whatever the goal is, you have to sign on and say that it's going to take some time and there's going to be a journey and a roadmap. And that journey is going to be filled with good things, sometimes bad things, but you got to say it's going to take me some time and I am going to walk the walk. I'm going to walk that path. Yep. So that's point A. Point B is things don't happen without a plan or writing things down. And whether or not you um, have training peaks or have a Garmin app or whatever it is that you use, I don't know, a journal, a piece of paper, old school, um, laying out what your plan is going to be each day. So that lends me, leads me towards the next thing, which is practice. So if you're going to be a triathlete, using that as an example, then the discipline of practice around triathlete, becoming a triathlete requires that you swim, you bike, you run, you take care of your nutrition, you eat properly, you learn what that is, you begin to think about hydration, what do you drink, when do you drink it, and lastly and most importantly, especially for guys like me who are 55 plus, you got to take care of your bones and your muscle. So the practice with purpose needs to be a rhythm or a journey around putting those things together. So on Sunday, am I riding a little bit? Am I biking? Am I running a little bit? Am I swimming? How am I organizing that? If I can't get to the pool because the pool is closed, do I have stretch bands? There are other push-ups. Can I do pulling exercises? So I guess if I were summarizing how to think about that, is one, you're signing up for a journey. It's several months, years, decades. That's the first thing, and that's a good thing. Second thing is practicing with purpose. And the third thing is memorializing it, writing it down, looking at your progress so that you can feel really proud about what you're doing. And then on an emotional side, as you go through it, you know, if you don't, if you're supposed to run six miles one day and you only run four, did you do the best you could that day? 
don't get caught up in some training plan or what somebody writes down. Just make sure that at the end of the day, you did what you could do that day. And recognize that that's part of the journey. Sometimes we say we're going to walk 10 miles in a day and we only walk eight. Maybe that's what you could do that day. Maybe on another day you were supposed to do 10, you did 12. That's what you could do that day. If you stick with it and there's consistency in your effort and practice with purpose, then you will be rewarded. And a failure or a minimized attempt one day does not mean that the journey is over. That's just part of it. So I think you put all those things together. For me, that's what I've learned. And when I don't do well at it, it's because I'm deviating from those thoughts. I love it, Paul. You know, it's funny. I feel like put all those things together and you basically have a recipe for success because, the you know, what, you know, you can apply what you just said, Paul, to almost anything, you know, even someone who's trying to get 10,000 steps a day because they've not done that before or someone who, who wants to go from a couch potato to someone who actually can jog for a few minutes a day. Because if you take the lessons that you just said, Paul, one thing will lead to the next. And let's face it, wellness isn't, wellness isn't built in a month or a year. It's a lifetime event. And, and applying those lessons, Paul, will help you be successful in that lifetime event. So I love that. You bet. Um, okay, well, listen, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me, Paul. I really appreciate it. And regardless of, of this conversation, you're still going to be my go-to person on triathlons and advice around that. So I appreciate that as well. Okay, cool. You right. got it. Thanks, Paul. Take care. Here's what I loved about today's conversation with Paul. First, I loved, loved, loved the two triathlon stories about the major races he did not complete and the lessons that taught him and can teach us. First of all, it's okay to stop. Whether it's a race, a training plan, a training day, any goal-oriented activity, if your health is at risk. And that can mean physical health, it could mean mental health, it could be anything. It's okay to stop, or at least pause. What it's not okay to do, or what it's not ideal to do, is to stop just because you aren't meeting your stated goals, like race times or splits. But this is true for any objectively set goals. Not meeting goals at a particular point in time or by a particular date are just moments when you might not be achieving what you set out to achieve. They're just small setbacks or small delays. Those moments may simply not be moments that are in your favor. Racing in bad weather, getting a bad night's sleep, having indigestion, (laughs) having an argument with a friend. All of those, and actually many, many life activities and life issues can impact your ability to meet stated, objectively set goals. However, you, we, should not use those missed goals as an excuse to quit, or as Paul did one time in Hawaii, to walk off the course. Sometimes you just need to start And you just need to finish, as Paul did in his last race in Hawaii. He started and he finished. 
He did not meet his goal times. He did not meet the splits that he hoped to meet. But that was a very, very successful day for Paul. So if you start and if you finish, sometimes just those two achievements can be a success. And you then keep moving forward from there. Honestly, I know I need to do a better job at heeding this advice. For those of you who know me very well, I am one of these people who, when I have a workout where I don't meet my stated goals, my day can be ruined. When I start a diet and I don't lose my 10 pounds in the first month, which is my current challenge, I tend to resort to more cookies and ice cream. I finished a half Ironman triathlon as I did in September, and my first thought as I crossed the finish line was, why was your split time for the run so slow? Today's conversation with Paul is a good reminder, and that symbolism is not lost on me. Life is a marathon, or triathlon. It's not about meeting every single micro goal you set for yourself every single day. It's about not giving up on yourself, whether you're meeting your goals or not. And that, my friends, is what I'd call meeting mediocrity. So here's the wrap. If you enjoy the Meet Mediocrity podcast, please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please follow our social media posts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you like the post, please click like. Please make a comment and please press share so your friends can see as well. And finally, until next time, this has been your host, Mediocre Mitch, wishing you to stay happy, to be positive, to stay healthy, to keep smiling, and to be well. Take care.